I don't know about you, but my life on a regular basis is a habit of routine. Days look the same, times of days look the same. I have the same experiences from day to day and from week to week. And one of my nightly experiences is that my kids are still at an age where they enjoy being tucked in at night. And so every night, the same thing happens. I'll I'll put them in bed, I'll go in for a hug, and they'll be like, Dad! And, okay, what? And they go, you need to shave, you know? And like, I'll have just a little bit of stubble, like just a little bit. But it's just any little bit is, is too much. Even this morning, I shaved last night. This morning, I was hugging my son. My father goes, Dad, you need to shave. I said, I shaved 12 hours ago. You need to shave again. You know, they, just, they always want me to be shaved. You know, they need to be glad that, that I am not Pastor Josh. Because if I was Pastor Josh, they'd have serious, serious problems. But we told my kids a story a few weeks ago as they were, they were kind of bemoaning uh, my facial hair about my dad, their grandfather. My dad's been a pastor in, in Las Vegas for many years. And when he first moved to Las Vegas, they had the, uh, the youth of the church over for a barbecue. And it was the 80s. And my dad grew, grew up Baptist. And so my dad wore a suit every Sunday. And so they were just used to seeing him in a suit and tie every Sunday. Well, they came home to the house and the kids all came over. And my mom was getting stuff ready for my dad to grill. And so my dad went back in the back and he changed clothes. He put on a t-shirt, put on some shorts. And he walked out. And a couple of the teenage girls turned to each other and said, oh my gosh, Pastor Hoyt, he has hair on his legs. It was just a shock to them that, that my dad had, because they'd, they'd only ever seen him in a suit. And, uh, and I think that's how it is sometimes that we, we put people on a pedestal. We have this image of them that is maybe larger than life. We have an image of them that maybe is unrealistic, or we only see them in one context and we see them in a different one and it changes everything. But, but the, the thing that I think we all want, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or you just found this in somebody's Facebook feed this morning, what we all want is we, we want to be the same person. When we, we go to bed, when we wake up, when we go into one environment or a different environment, when we're on a big stage like this, or we're just, you know, getting groceries at the store, we want to be the same person. We want to have integrity. And I can remember when I was in high school, I stumbled on a book. And, and the, the title of the book really got my attention. And the book was called who you are when no one is looking. And the book talked about integrity, it talked about character, and it just articulated for me the kind of person I wanted to be, even as a teenager. And so for me, I tend to have some books that I read once and then put away. There's other books that I read again and again and again, and every time I read it, it just continues to impact me. And this was a book that I probably read five or six times. I mean, I had it underlined and, and dog-eared. I knew where all the best sections were in the book. But there was just one problem, that that over time I began to learn more about the author of this book. He was somebody that I eventually looked up to, kind of like people looked up to my dad. And, and I discovered some things over the last couple of years. I began to read reports coming out of the church that he led in Chicago about inappropriate relationships with women. I began to hear, hear stories that women were sharing with reporters in the Chicago Tribune and the New York Times about how Bill Hybels had mistreated them, about how Bill Hybels had abused them. Uh, Bill Hybels had taken advantage of his position and power to do things that no one should ever do, much less the pastor. And, and people in the church, they took Bill's side and not women's side. Ultimately, one of my friends, he ended up stepping down as a pastor at that church because he believed in the women and he couldn't stay a part of it. Well, eventually, Hybels, he stepped down from the church that he planted, effectively had to go into hiding and really has not been seen or heard from much ever since. 40 years of starting one of the largest churches in America was lost. 
because of who he was when no one was looking. And even though he wrote the book on it, he experienced it. That who we are when no one is looking will always be found out. Who we are when no one is looking will always show up, will always be seen. And today, as we continue our study in the book of James, we're going to learn about what it looks like to live with the wisdom that ensures that who we are when no one is looking is who we are when everyone is looking. We're going to learn how do we practice wisdom in a way that isn't just I say one thing and do another, but what I say is how I live, and how I live reflects what I say, and the fruit of my life, the fruit of your life, truly honors Christ. And we're going to be in the book of James today, chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to James chapter 3 today. I've been blessed to be able to enjoy a couple weeks away on vacation, and so stepping back is a little bit weird today. It feels a little bit out of practice, but I'm really grateful for my friends Tim Jacobs and Josh McClintock, who continued this series while I was gone. I'm grateful for what God's doing in our church. Yes, this is an unprecedented year, but as I continue to be in different places and talk to different people, what I also see is God is working in unprecedented ways, and we have a choice to choose our perspective. And uh, I'm grateful for, for what God's doing in our lives. So we have a short text today. It's a lot shorter than the last couple I preached. And uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open up to James 3, 13 through 18. And if you're here in the room, I want you to stand with me as we honor God's word. You're welcome to stand in the forest or at home or in a coffee shop, wherever you're watching this today. Here's what James says. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly Father, we pray that just as Jamie mentioned earlier, that you would guide us into wisdom today. We need your wisdom like never before. And so we pray that not only would you speak wisdom into our midst today, but we pray that you would help us to have hearts that are open to receive it and that we would be willing to live in light of it. And I pray selfishly that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart today would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This morning I want to spend some time unpacking these six verses from James chapter 3, and I think if there is a central thread that runs through these sentences, it's this. It's our big idea this morning, that all wisdom must be tested. To really know if wisdom is wisdom, 
to really know if wisdom is worth following, that wisdom must be tested. And what James does in this text is he, he gives us the, the rubric, the measure, the standard to be able to discern whether something is true wisdom or false wisdom. And I love how Tony Evans defines true wisdom. He says, true wisdom is gaining God's perspective through his word and applying that truth to life. And what James has been teaching us all summer long, if you've been with us, James has been teaching us that it's not enough to gain God's perspective. It's not enough to know what God thinks about a situation. It's not enough to know what scripture says. We have to actually apply it. And we have all sorts of phrases in our culture about this. We say somebody is book smart, but they're not street smart. You know, we say that they're, they're really knowledgeable, but they're, they're not really wise. And what we're trying to get at with these colloquial phrases is this definition of wisdom, that we need to gain God's perspective, and then we need to actually apply it to be wise. And what we're going to see today in this text is that James gives us three ways to test wisdom. We live in a world that, that is deciphering what is true today. You know, some people say we're in an epistemological crisis. That's a big word that basically means how do you know what you know? We have, we have conversations each day about things. Are they real news or are they fake news? Are they, are they genuine or are they real? Have we been duped? Is this a conspiracy? And so I think what James does is he gives us an opportunity here to test wisdom in three different ways. And here's the first one. James reminds us to look for integrity and not just honesty. James calls us to look for integrity and not just honesty. I think for a lot of us, we think those are the same thing, but as we're going to see in a second, they're actually different. In James 3.13, here's what James says. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. So you want to know who's wise, you want to know who's understanding, you want to know who actually has wisdom that's worth following, look at his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, meekness is not a word that we typically use today. Most of us, if we audited our vocabulary for the last seven days, we probably didn't use the word meekness. So we, most of us don't even know what it means. But the word meekness means being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. So when it comes to our human interactions, to be meek is to be humble and gentle. And when it comes to our relationship with God, meekness means willingly submitting ourselves and being obedient to God. And the best definition we get of meekness in Scripture is Jesus. He's one of the first people who's described as meek. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, in the Amplified Version, here's what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. Why? Your Bible may say, for I am meek. In the Amplified, it says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's the definition of meekness. And you will find rest, renewal, blessed, quiet for your souls. Jesus is saying, hey, I am one who is meek. I am gentle and humble in heart. And if you're going to be my disciple, you need to follow in my footsteps. And one of the ways that we test whether something is actually wisdom and someone is actually practicing wisdom is by looking at their actions. 
If you want to know how much somebody knows about something, what do you do? You put them to a test. I can remember when my wife and I were dating and I was trying to scrape together some money to buy an engagement ring. I was doing the math and going, man, we're going to be dating for years if I can afford a ring. And so I got, a, I got an opportunity to start proctoring tests. So I proctored the ACT, I proctored the SAT, I proctored the, um, the ethics portion of the bar, and I proctored the ASE. It's the test that your mechanic takes to, to get certified to work on your car. And, and all of those tests, people have been preparing for a long time to take a step, to go to college, to become an attorney, to become a mechanic. And I would show up on a Saturday morning at a high school or a college, and I would proctor their test to prove that they knew what they said they knew. And that's the same thing that James is saying here. He's saying that wisdom is revealed in your works, not your words. True wisdom is not just honest words. It is integrous actions. I love how Stephen Covey defines the difference between honesty and integrity. Here's what Covey says. He says, honesty is telling the truth. In other words, conforming our words to reality. So honesty is you know, I did this and I'm honest that I did that. That's honesty. Integrity is conforming reality to our words. In other words, keeping promises and fulfilling expectations. So if we were to give an example like from my kids, honesty is, you know what? Yeah, I didn't hit my sister. <laughs> I'm grateful you're honest. That's better than lying and saying that your brother did it, you know? So honesty is good in one sense, but integrity is really what you want. That I told you, hey, when you play with your your siblings, you're not going to hit them, right? Yes. And then you don't hit them. Integrity is that. I mean, honesty is good, but integrity is better. And we live in a world, in a culture, where I think we have over-elevated the value of being honest or authentic. One person says that authenticity today is the cry of all. I just want authenticity. I just want honesty. And honesty, friends, is not enough. And we saw this a few years ago in Memphis, Tennessee. In a church like this, on a Sunday morning like this, although with a much fuller room and no one even knowing the word COVID, a man named Andy Savage stood up. And this story got my attention because I share a last name with this guy. Andy Savage was a teaching pastor at a church in Memphis. He got up on a Sunday morning to preach, and it was a very different message. He began sharing about his past. And he shared a story from when he was a youth pastor in his 20s. He was now in his 40s. And he shared a story about when he was a youth pastor when he had an inappropriate encounter with one of his students. And he shared about what happened and he shared about the consequences and he was really transparent and confessional. And at the end of it, the church gave him a standing ovation for being honest. But that story began to spread because it was a very well-known church. And eventually that story came across the computer of the woman who had had the inappropriate encounter with Andy. And here was the problem. Not only had Andy not really been fully honest in his confession to his church, the people in that moment, way back then that he was confessing about, had never been told about it. The story had been hidden He was allowed to resign without anyone even knowing what happened. And everyone went on with their lives. But because who you are when no one is looking always comes out, the truth ended up coming out. And that church that ultimately 
started by giving him a standing ovation, ended up firing him. Not only because he lied to them, but because he'd never truly been held accountable in the first place. Say, Scott, why do you tell that story? Because honesty is a good place to start, but it's a bad place to settle. It's not enough to just say, I'm honest. What what James is calling us to is not just honesty. In essence, what I think James is saying is that honesty isn't the high bar, integrity is. You want to know what true wisdom is? Look at actions. Look at works. Look at what someone does. Don't just applaud them for what they said. Look at their life. I remember growing up, I heard a phrase, talk is cheap. And that's the essence of what I think James is saying. He's saying, hey, it's easy for someone to show you their wisdom with their words, but study their life. It's way easier to speak wisdom than it is to live it. So he says the first thing, look for integrity, not just honesty. Number two, James says, check the fruit for false wisdom. If you're going to try to discern what is true wisdom and false wisdom, look for the fruit of that wisdom and you'll be able to tell what it genuinely is. Back in the text here in James 3. James says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James says that's the fruit of false wisdom. Whenever I think about checking fruit, I always think about that, that, that first thing that happens when you drive from Arizona into California. You know, they have that, that fruit check, you know, which I'm not sure how effective it is. They just ask me if I have bananas or apples or oranges, you know, and half the time it's not even open. But, but I think about that fruit check. And in essence, what James is, is saying to us, he says, check the fruit of the wisdom to see what it's leading to. And he makes a list here, and I've created a chart for you. He says, hey, the fruit of false wisdom is bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, it leads to disorder, and it leads to every vile practice. This word here for for selfish ambition, it's this this phrase of like party loyalty or partisanship. It's, It's this idea that it's divisive. Uh, then there's another word here, demonic, that it's, it's not actually just like, hey, that's actually not good ideas. It actually has its origin in our enemy, Satan. And this is where I want to come out for a second, because I think a lot of us experience this fruit of false wisdom the most. Here's how you can know that you have embraced false wisdom, because you've been played by Satan. Here's what Satan does. He, he tempts you with false wisdom to try to go down a path you shouldn't walk down. And once you've walked down the path of false wisdom, once you've actually done that, what Satan does is he turns from tempting you to shaming you. We've all had moments where we did something that we thought was wise, but it was actually unwise. We were being tempted by that demonic nature of wisdom. And then once we did it, what happened? We felt terrible. We felt ashamed. We felt condemned. That is the essence of false wisdom. 
And what James is saying is if you want to do something different, is this wisdom or is this false wisdom, just study the fruit. And if these are the things that the wisdom, quote unquote, is leading to, you can know that it is false wisdom. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, then you will recognize them by their fruits. If you want to know the kind of person you are following or the kind of wisdom you're experiencing, look at the fruit. Test the fruit. Is it true? Is it false? What does it lead to? And the one thing I will tell you about this is this requires patience. Fruit does not emerge overnight. Fruit emerges over days and weeks and months. And we live in a culture that is immediate, 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 today, today, today. And sometimes you don't know the fruit until you've had time. And that's, that's why we have to be patient and pull back and restrain ourselves sometimes to reserve judgment on something until we can actually see the fruit. So we're going to look for integrity, not just honesty. We're going to test the fruit. And then number three, we're going to pay attention to soil and seeds. James encourages us not just to look at the fruit, but to pay attention to the soil and the seed that the fruit comes from. Here in verse 17 and 18, he says, but wisdom that's from above. So first he describes wisdom that is from below. Wisdom that's from above is first pure and then peaceable and then gentle, open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What James is doing here is he's kind of giving the other side of that chart. We looked at false wisdom before and the fruit of false wisdom. Here he gives us the fruit of true wisdom. He says true wisdom leads to integrity and humility and purity. And instead of being discord-ridden, it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's impartial. It's full of mercy and good fruits. And it's sincere and genuine. When I first looked at this list and I was kind of formulating it from the text, there were two things that just jumped off the page at me. The first one, I think because I already thought about meekness, is this word gentle. That when we are living with with real, genuine, true wisdom, the fruit of that in our lives is going to be gentleness. Gentleness is actually also in Galatians 5 in the fruit of the Spirit. And friends, If there is a virtue that is in short supply in our world today, it's gentleness. I think there's many of us that don't think it's actually a virtue, but think that it's a a downside. Oh, they're just so gentle, you know? We think it's like a character flaw. It's actually a sign that the Holy Spirit is in you. So this week, when you're scrolling through social media and you see somebody inevitably say something stupid, ridiculous, or annoying... Is your response gentle? Yeah, but I, Scott, I know the truth. I need to correct them. Yeah, but do you correct them with gentleness? Are you right and gentle? Because the ways in which we express our rightness sometimes actually destroy the whole rightness. And there's a call to be gentleness. There's a a call right here to be open to reason. One of the phrases I'm, I'm getting more comfortable saying, and I'm not comfortable saying it yet, so please don't, don't hold me to this in every area because I don't practice it perfectly, but one of the phrases I'm trying to get better at saying is, I could be wrong. It's a phrase you should work on too. I could be wrong. 
Let me ask you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about in your head how old you are and then just go back at least one decade or two decades if, if you've been alive long enough for that. Now go back one decade or two decades and ask yourself this question. What do you believe or see or do that is different than that you do now? Is there an area of life where you think you see the world better and more clearly? When you look back then, do you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used to think that. I can't believe I used to believe that. Man, I was so wrong. Well, if that's possible then, then fast forward your life a decade or two decades. Is it possible that you're holding to other things right now that were like those things? And I'm not asking you to be so open-minded that as the cliche says, your brain falls out. But what I am asking you to, to do is to be humble and to acknowledge that you don't see the world perfectly. Paul says we all see through a glass dimly. And if we are all flawed, broken people, what it means is that we need to be open to reason and use the phrase, you know what? I think this is true, but guess what? I could be wrong. That's a fruit of true, genuine wisdom. And when you hold them up together, one versus another, these fruits that James gives us here in James 3, it is very clear the difference between false and true wisdom. And this is why he gives us this list. Because in the moment, it's often hard to see what's true and what's false. But when you look at the fruit, it's so much easier. And, and what James is doing is he's speaking to his audience, which was an audience that knew this world of agrarian agriculture. It was a world where people made their livelihood by growing things. They would hitch together two oxen to plow a field. They understood the world of, of growing fruit and growing crops. And this is why in Galatians 6, Paul himself said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. All throughout the New Testament, James, Jesus, Paul, they're drawing this idea that what you put in the soil and the condition of the soil leads to a certain kind of fruit. And here what James says is this, if, if the soil is false wisdom and into the soil of false wisdom, you plant stuff like jealousy and selfish ambition and discord, what you will reap is disorder and every vile practice. When you see someone's life and the fruit of their life is total chaos, and you see all these practices or actions that you deem vile before you cast judgment on them, recognize that they had a certain kind of soil in their life and they planted a certain kind of seed. And what you're seeing right now is the fruit of that. Maybe for you today, you're looking at your life going, man, I've been in the wrong kind of soil and I've been planting the wrong kind of seeds. Here's the good news. James says you can actually cultivate a soil in your heart that's actually true wisdom. And when you cultivate true wisdom and you plant peace in your heart, the, 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 the fruit of that is righteousness. The, the outcome is not disorder in every vile practice. It's a right relationship with people and a right relationship with God and fruit in your life that leads you into peace. 
In essence, I think what James is telling us is you're the gardener of your soul. And you may not think that you have a green thumb. You may not have plants at home. You go, man, I kill everything I bring home. Well, here's the good news. You get to still be the gardener of your soul. To tend the soil of your soul, to determine what you're going to plant in your soul. And, and I just came back from two weeks in, in Montana. I took this photo on Thursday morning. As, no, Wednesday morning, as I was kayaking across Whitefish Lake. And as I was out there, I was the only person on the lake on my paddleboard, I was kayaking. I just felt like God began to press upon me, Scott, this body of water is like your heart. And you need to tend to that. And when I, I wrote this sermon before I went on vacation. I came back, I was looking at it last night. I said, man, I'm the gardener of my soul. I'm the person who's tending to it. And so often we let all these things into our heart and soul that, that don't lead to life. They don't reflect wisdom. They're not actually good fruit. And if you go, man, there's stuff happening in my heart and soul that I don't like. You're not always in charge of what comes into your life, but you are in charge of the soil of your soul. You are the person who's responsible for tending to that. And so if you don't like that input, then turn off that channel. If you don't like that social network, you can actually take a break. If, if those people are, are bringing certain things into your life, then, then take a break and start some new connections. For me, sitting out there in the peaceful and the quiet, I was reminded it's not about where I am. It's about who I am. You can't always control your environment, but you do have a responsibility to tend the soil of your heart. And I want a heart that's filled with true wisdom that leads to the kind of fruit that is known and marked by peace and righteousness. So let's talk about some next steps today. If you're following along, these are on your handout. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to, in your life today, identify one place where you need true wisdom and then identify your next step in finding it. So man, this is the area in my life, man, I just, I don't feel like I, I have any wisdom. And then go, what is your next step in finding it? In Psalm 1611, the writer says, you make known to me the path of life, God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So maybe for you, it's, it's, it's pulling out your Bible and figuring out where does the Bible speak to that issue? Maybe it's, it's deciding, hey, I'm gonna be more intentional about praying and listening to God about that issue. Maybe it's, I, I have this friend and their life, Scott, is, is that true wisdom list. I'm gonna go to them and seek their counsel. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, hey, where in your life do you lack true wisdom and what is your very next step? Not 17, but one. What is your next step in seeking true wisdom? Number two, reject the voice of condemnation for the times where you've lacked true wisdom. We all have memories that can be regrets. Places, man, I, that was not wisdom. That was dumbness. And here's the thing. Our enemy, Satan, is going to try to use his demonic power to condemn you for those areas, to condemn you for those moments. And the longer you live, the more of those moments you have. And here's what Jesus said about his mission here. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you're hearing the voice of condemnation today and you are a follower of Jesus, that voice of condemnation is not from God. It's from your enemy. You're no longer under condemnation. So reject the voice of condemnation for the places where you've not had wisdom. And then number three, pursue integrity, not just honesty. Decide, hey, I'm not just going to set the bar at, hey, being honest or being real or being authentic. I'm going to set the bar at integrity. I want to live what I say, and I want to say what I live. James 3, 13 again says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. That's actually our memory verse for this week. And so if you want to go online, you can get a wallpaper for your phone to to memorize that. But let's be the kind of people who don't just talk about wisdom, but practice it. Who don't just celebrate, hey, I'm honest. Isn't that good? No. Let's move from honesty to integrity. Because who you are is who you are when no one is looking. And who you are when no one is looking will eventually be found out. Let's be the kind of people that align who we are when no one is looking with who we are when everyone is looking and live with integrity as the people God's called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to our lives in real and practical ways. God, all of us have places in our past where if we turned and looked back, we'd go, man, that wasn't wisdom, that wasn't wisdom, that wasn't wisdom. And it's so easy, God, for our hearts to end up in regret, shame, condemnation. But we thank you that one night with a man named Nicodemus, you spoke those words, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And that's the gospel you've made available to each and every one of us, that we don't have to be condemned for the life we have lived in false wisdom. And so for my brothers and sisters who are followers of you today, I pray that they would reject the voice of condemnation. Yes, you may be convicting our hearts today about places we're not living with wisdom and we need to hear that, we need to heed that, and we need to adjust our lives in accordance with that. But we're no longer under condemnation because we're in you. And we celebrate that today. I also believe, Jesus, that there are some people who are watching right now who have never experienced your gospel. They've never experienced hope in you. They've never surrendered their lives to you. And they have not found freedom from condemnation. And I want to give them that opportunity right now. If that's you, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and today you recognize that you've not been living according to wisdom and you have the fruit and the pain to show for it, I want to make this invitation available to you to pray these words with me. Jesus, I have not been living with your wisdom and I have a mess to show for it. I've been living according to false wisdom. I've been living in sin and I am a sinner. Jesus, I am tired of this broken, painful life. I want the life you're offering me. So today, I put my faith and trust in you. I believe in you. And 
that today I receive your love. Today I receive your grace. Today I receive your mercy and forgiveness. I pray that you would forgive me and wash away my past. I pray that you'd give me a new beginning. I want my life to be marked by your wisdom. I want to know peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray.